Our scripture today is from 1 Thessalonians. We'll be reading from chapter 2, verse 17, through chapter 3, verse 13. Hear the word of the Lord. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, We have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. And now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Let's hear the word of the Lord. How many of you were here last week when our brother Steve Teeter from the church in Franklin preached? Just a quick show of hands so I know. Okay. Good. That's helpful because I am grateful to Steve, thankful he could participate in our series and uh, preach from part of chapter 2, addressing the nature character of the Word of God. And though I wasn't here to sit under his preaching with you, In planning this series, knowing we would address this topic, I wanted to recommend a book to you. This is called Taking God at His Word, Why the Bible is Knowable, Necessary, and Enough, and What That Means for You and Me. This is a great, small, accessible book written by Kevin DeYoung. And if you want to grow in your understanding, as Paul says to the Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 13, that the Word of God is not the Word of men, but it is really the Word of God at work in you. If, if you want to get your mind around that further, this is a great book. So let me read one quote out of here just to encourage you to swing by the bookshop this morning and grab it. DeYoung says, Scripture doesn't tell us everything we may want to know about everything. That's true. But it tells us everything we need to know about the most important things. It gives us something the Internet, with all its terabytes of information, never could. Wisdom. The purpose of Holy Scripture is not ultimately to make you smart or make you relevant or make you rich or get you a job or get you married or take all your problems away or tell you where to live. The aim is that you might be wise enough to put your faith in Christ and be saved. Great book. Check it in the bookshop. I will resist the temptation to read more. Lord Jesus, I pray right now you would use that very word that we have just heard to make us wise for salvation. I thank you, Lord, that that making us wise isn't just a 
a moment we have with you at one point and get our passport stamped and then we're kind of good through faith and repentance to get into heaven when we die and then we're just kind of doing our own thing until then. Lord, we, we thank you that when your word says that your word makes us wise unto salvation, that's a salvation you bring day after day after day after day. So we pray that this day would be another day of salvation and that this day would be another day where you use your word to work your salvation in our hearts. Help us, we pray. Help this preacher, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, speaking of uh, the internet, terabytes of information, I, I think it would be fair to say that Google has made all kinds of things that used to be necessities obsolete unnecessary. So just to give a few examples, who needs a dictionary? For all you young people, that, that, that's a big fat book <laughs> that you can sit on when you're too short to do your piano lessons at the right height. Just Google the word, right? Who, who needs a recipe card or book? Just Google it. Who needs a book map or an encyclopedia or a paper calendar of events or an appliance repair manual or a phone book or or a travel agent. You don't need those things. Just, just ask the ever-present blue, red, yellow, and green icon on your smartphone or laptop. So if you need relationship advice, ask Google. If you want spiritual counsel, ask Google. If you want hours of funny cat videos, ask Google. No matter what you want or why you want it, Google is ready to help. It can be and do all kinds of things. But let me, let me tell you something Google can't do. You know what it can't do? It can do a lot of things. It can't replace a good friend. It can't, re- it can't replace a good friend. Why not? Because Google doesn't have the slightest bit of affectionate desire for your welfare. It's not personally concerned for you. If, if you're grieving, Google isn't sad. If you're rejoicing, Google isn't happy. It, it can help you remember your birthday, but it's not grateful for the gift of your life. It can do all kinds of things for you, but, but it doesn't feel anything towards you. It doesn't love you or anyone for that matter, right? And, and that, if we're honest, I trust. I've never been emailed. Pastor, I'm just so concerned. Google doesn't. No, it doesn't alarm us or bother us because we don't expect that from Google. It's a glorified machine. It's a computer program, which is the extent of my technical knowledge. So we don't expect more from Google, but but we do expect more from a friend. So whether that friend is a spouse or a sibling or a a co-worker or a roommate, we, we don't want them to just do things for us. Cook dinner, move the car, fix the spreadsheet, empty the trash. We we don't want them to just do things for us. We want them to feel things toward us, right? Compassion when we're sick. Anger when we've been hurt. Joy when we're doing well. Sorrow when we're struggling. Friends, faithful Christian ministry is no different, okay? Being a a faithful brother or sister in Christ isn't about being some kind of spiritual service provider. Relationship advice, I can share it. Financial assistance, I can give it. Truth from God's word, I can speak it. Security on Sunday morning, I can bring it. Snack for community group, I can cook it. Periodic prayer for you when your life gets hard, I can do it. We can do all of those things, and those are good things. But we can do all of them, and we can still lack what is most important. 
What makes faithful Christian ministry faithful? The, the wellspring from which it springs. You know what that is? It's an emotion. It's a feeling. Think about that. It's called affectionate desire for the spiritual welfare of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And I mention that because I think we often talk and, and hear in the church about the importance of believing what is true and, and doing what is right, and that's critical. But, but listen, friend, God isn't just concerned about what we do or what we think. You know what else God is concerned about? With what we feel. Whatever you're feeling right now, especially toward your brothers and sisters in Christ around you, God is deeply concerned about that. He's concerned about our emotions. Not just toward him, but, but toward one another in the church. And, and really, the, the ultimate reason for that is that the Lord himself is an emotional person. You ever think about that? Anybody ever told you, our God is a deeply emotional person? He, he's not this repository of truth. Cosmic ruler. He is. But he's deeply emotional. Love, anger, jealousy, joy, grief, compassion, hatred. I mean, so, so many of the emotions that, that we feel, that you probably felt this morning, or maybe you're going to feel tonight, or you felt this week, they reflect, even when they're corrupted by sin, something true of the emotional life of our Creator. It's part of what it means to be made in his image. So God doesn't just do things for us. He feels things toward us. So listen to Jeremiah 31, verse 20. Is he from Israel, my dear son? Is he my darling child? For as often as I speak against him, I do remember him still. Therefore, this is God talking. Listen to this. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him declares the Lord. The whole point of this section in Thessalonians that Bob read is that faithful Christian ministry reflects the character of our Creator and that it, it springs from, it's birthed out of an affectionate desire for the spiritual welfare of your brothers and sisters in Christ. At the, at the end of 1 Thessalonians 2, and, and really the whole of chapter 3, Paul, the apostle, gives us a compelling example of exactly that kind of desire. This affectionate desire for the spiritual welfare, an emotion, a feeling, of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and that desire, that emotion, plays out in an intense variety of feelings in Paul's heart toward the Christians in Thessalonica. And, and you need to know, as we get into this, these words are not like a first century Facebook post. Okay, Paul isn't just getting something off his chest. You know, just, here's what I'm feeling, like it or not, it is what it is, just saying, no. He's modeling. Hear that. He's modeling for the Thessalonians and for us the emotional wellspring of faithful Christian ministry. He's modeling that. By, by revealing what, what he felt toward the Thessalonians, Paul, God using Paul, is showing us what we should feel toward our brothers and sisters in Christ, especially in the church. And I think there are at least four categories in this passage. And every one of these main points this morning is an emotion. So listen carefully. First, what should we feel toward fellow believers? First, we should feel delight in them. And here I'm looking at verses 17 to 20. Okay, so look there with me, chapter 2. Verse 17, the apostle says, We endeavored all the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. Okay, clearly there's, there's no lack of desire, emotion, feeling, longing in Paul's heart to, to get FaceTime with the Thessalonians. And by FaceTime, of course, I don't mean the iPhone kind. I mean, where you actually sit down and look at a real person at a, in a real location. 
and talk to them and make eye contact with them. We could use more of that. He longs to be with them. And that phrase, look back at verse 17, we were torn away from you. Speaking of their sudden departure, because when they were in Thessalonica, a whole lot of persecution came out of nowhere from the Jews and they had to suddenly leave the place. We were torn away from you, speaking of their sudden departure. That's more literally translated in Greek, we were orphaned from you. Orphaned? What? Well, in the first century, that single word described both the experience of children being separated from their parents and, this is where it's different than English today, parents being separated from their children. So Paul, Paul's saying in no uncertain terms, I'm not just missing a friend. He feels like a spiritual parent who's been forcibly separated from his spiritual children. That's what he's feeling. And it's a good metaphor because Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, his co-workers, they were the ones who what? Who, who introduced the Thessalonians to Jesus, who taught them how to trust and obey him before they were forced to leave. And Paul badly wants to see them again, really badly. And it killed him when Satan kept hindering him from returning to visit. Now, word to the wise, we don't know how Satan did that. And so I'm not going to speculate on that. And if you're hearing a preacher who is, you should be concerned. We don't know, okay? Or, and we don't know how Paul recognized that opposition is the work of the evil one. All we know is that Paul knew that there were both human enemies and spiritual enemies keeping him from getting face time with those he longed to see. But the question I want us to focus on in this whole experience, he's kind of vulnerable moment he's bringing us in on is, why was that in Paul's heart? Why, why was his longing to see them so intense? Well, look at verse 19. The Thessalonians were his hope and joy and crown of boasting, or as he summarizes in verse 20, for you are our glory and joy. Think about that. So throughout Paul's letters, he, he describes the Christian life as a, as a spiritual race. He uses that over and over again. It's a spiritual race where the finish line is the day that Jesus comes back to judge the living and the dead. And those who cross that finish line as victors on the day of his appearing are those who persevered in following Jesus in this life by fulfilling the mission that he's given us. Christian, he's given you a mission. Whether you are young or old, or rich or poor, or black or white, new Christian, seasoned saint, we, we share the same mission. We've been entrusted by God with the same responsibility. What's that? Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples or followers of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. What's that? It's helping the people around us enjoy a growing relationship with God, helping them learn, showing them how to love and follow him. That's the mission Jesus has given us. And that's the basis on which we will be judged faithful or unfaithful when our Lord returns. It's like, it's like the parable of the talents, Matthew 25. If you're a Christian, Jesus has entrusted you with a priceless gift. He's given you the gift of the gospel. And, and he hasn't given you that gift. Hear this, Christian, simply so you can survive the troubles of this life and just barely kind of make it home to heaven. He's, he's given us that gift because he has purpose. God is resolved, committed in his sovereign wisdom to use us, feeble though we may be, to help non-Christian friends begin to trust and follow Jesus and to help Christian friends continue to trust and follow Jesus in greater and greater ways until the Lord returns. So listen, here's what this means, okay? The measure of your life as a believer isn't your personal 
holiness defined in some sort of narrow isolation from other Christians. The second part of that sentence was really important. Okay, the measure of your life, the finish line that that Jesus has saved and empowered us to pursue, you, you know what that finish line is? It's the spiritual health and welfare of the brothers and sisters in Christ all around you. That's the race. And Paul knows as much, which is why he describes his fellow Christians in Thessalonica, his spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ, as what? His crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming. Now you can read that thing, boasting. Isn't that what I'm supposed to like repent of and be humble and stop doing? Well, yeah, if it's arrogant. But this boasting Paul's talking about isn't a moment of arrogance, you know, like some sort of a, Hey God, check out all these people who came be, became Christians because of me. You made a great call in making me an apostle. No, that would be a moment of arrogance. That's not what Paul's saying. This isn't a moment of arrogance. Paul's anticipating the joy of faithfulness. Or as Jesus himself says to the Father in Hebrews 2.13, Behold, I and the children God has given me. So this finish line that Paul awaits, the the victor's crown that he longs to attain is the day when the Lord Jesus returns and Paul can say to Jesus, Lord, by your grace and your grace alone, here are the men and women that I helped to love and follow you. Their perseverance in the faith has been my hope and my joy and my long-awaited crown of boasting, which I now cast at your feet because it's you and you alone who kept me faithful and enabled me to fulfill your call on my life in helping them. That's what he's saying. And that, that great commission that I read, Matthew 28, makes crystal clear that the spiritual welfare of your brothers and sisters in Christ, whether they are running the race well or or faltering mid-course, that's not just an apostolic concern. That's a Christian concern. That's an every member of the church concern. So I ask you, friend, if you're a Christian, especially if you're a member of this church, wrestle with this question, okay? Can you honestly say that your brothers and sisters in Christ are your glory and joy. Can you say that? Is your heart filled with deep delight in their spiritual welfare? Are you lovingly concerned with how the Christians around you are doing, or or are you selfishly consumed (laughs) with your own troubles and issues so much that, that your hopes and your joys, if you're being honest, have nothing to do with anyone but yourself? We have to wrestle with that. And, and by the way, um, I think I'd be remiss as a pastor if I didn't take this moment to say to all of you, members of this church, how much I delight in you. I love being your pastor. It's hard work, but it's a joy because I love you. And I am preaching and praying and counseling and serving and leading and rejoicing and weeping and repeating it all over and over and over again. Because on that day when I stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, I want all of you to be standing with me. And hundreds more that we have yet to meet in the city and around the world in grateful awe at what Jesus has accomplished. I want that for you. And so the first and most important thing that we should feel toward one another, fellow believers, including those who are, listen, very different than us, take a lot of work to get to know and love, (laughs) the first thing we should feel is an abiding joy and delight in their spiritual welfare. It's an emotion. It's a feeling, and it's critical. That's the first thing. Here's the second one, okay? Delight in them, concern for them. Look at chapter 3 especially in verse 1 here. So, so what's going on? Paul's delight in the Thessalonians 
and a desire to see them thriving spiritually, it translated into a second category of emotion. In other words, Paul didn't just say, hey guys, just so you know, FYI, I delight in you. Uh, Good luck. No. No, he delighted in them. So what did that delight overflow and what did it produce? A second emotion called concern for them in the midst of suffering. So look at verse 3. Why did Paul give up? We need to think about this. Why did he give up the sweet companionship of one of his closest co-workers, Timothy, and send him to establish and exhort the Thessalonians in their faith? Why did he do that? That cost Paul something. He did it because he was concerned, verse 3, that no one be moved by these afflictions. Now, we don't know exactly what was happening to the Thessalonians. But we do know, by the way, Paul was kind of railroaded out of town by Jewish persecution in the city, that they faced a lot of affliction as new believers. And so much so that Paul was afraid, and rightly so, concerned that Satan would take advantage of their suffering to to sabotage, to undermine their resolve to keep following Jesus. Look at verse 5, chapter 3. For this reason, Paul says, when I could bear it no longer... I sent to learn about your faith for fear that the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Why did he say that? Well, it's not rocket science. It's because few experiences have more built-in peril and potential spiritually than suffering. And it doesn't have to be the affliction of religious persecution. Though, though For many believers in other countries, it is. It could be the affliction of of chronic mental illness, or being widowed, or being single, you don't want to be, or infertility, or or wayward children, or or financial distress. And, And if you're experiencing one of those things right now, or some other form of suffering, you need to know this, Christian, God didn't create us for a world of suffering. He didn't create us for that kind of world. He, he died on the cross and rose from the grave and is returning to make all things new so that one day there will be no more of that suffering. He's going to do that. But until that day, you know what? It really hurts. It really hurts. The pain lingers. Sunday morning doesn't make it go away. Sorrows multiply and and the testing of our faith continues and in that suffering there are two really important things we need to remember okay one first we need to check our expectations so why do I say that because I think that our relative prosperity in the west tempts us to conclude to expect that a materialistic form of heaven on earth is not just possible, but what I deserve. I think that. It's a reasonable expectation. I mean, right? Good job. Nice house. Compliant kids. Comfortable retirement. Top-notch health care. What's what's right? Reasonable. Well, you know what? Jesus didn't tell us to expect word and it starts with a T. Trouble. In this world you will have trouble. So he told us to expect a lifelong struggle with the fleeting vanity of a fallen world. And Paul reminds the Thessalonians of as much in chapter 3 verse 4. What does he say? Remember guys when we were with you we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. So it's always going to hurt. It's always going to be painful. But you shouldn't be shocked, shocked or surprised or think something's wrong guys. Or at least something's not wrong with God. Because sin and the suffering it creates is is very wrong. But there's nothing wrong with God. Because even even the ravages of sin without and sin within, they, they don't escape his sovereign control. Verse 3. You yourselves know that we are destined for this. That is not a destined in some kind of sick, I know what I'll do to those poor pitiful creatures who bear my image. I'll dump a boatload of suffering on them. 
No, that is a destined that means God is using our afflictions even right now, friend, to make you and me more like Jesus. Amen. That's the destined going on here. And, and as God's very own son, think about that, learned obedience through what he suffered, we too now as his followers learn obedience through what we suffer. And as the son was resurrected and vindicated, one day you will be too. So we need to check our expectations, okay? But, but there's a second thing in the midst of suffering that tempts us to abandon the faith that, that Paul was concerned about. He flagged their expectations. I'm concerned about your expectations. But secondly, he knows that we need brothers and sisters around us to actively what? Exhort and establish us in our faith so that we're not moved or shaken or our faith isn't undermined or destroyed by these afflictions. That was Paul's concern, right? That's why he sent Timothy. And and friends, we need to make the same kind of relational sacrifice as Paul made to care for the believers around us who are suffering. And and that, think of it this way, that that kind of what I'll call concerned movement toward one another for the purpose of establishing and exhorting one another in the midst of suffering. That can take a thousand forms. But notice this. For Paul, it meant stepping outside his relational comfort zone. You realize that? I mean, sometimes we think of apostles like they're just kind of unfeeling God's superstars. What shall I sacrifice for you, master? You want Timothy? Aye, aye, Captain Timothy! You need... No! Paul isn't a robot. He's a human being. It hurt to let Timothy go. It's like his closest friend. And friend, for you, moving towards somebody, compelled by a a feeling and emotion of deep concern for them and their suffering, I guarantee you it will require no less sacrifice from you. We all want to find, be honest, what do we all want to find? A comfortable little circle of companions that never changes, that's always perfect, and we can just kind of sail with them out into the sunset. I want that, right? But faithful Christian ministry and and an affectionate desire for the spiritual welfare of others from which it springs is radically different. Why? Because it doesn't start with what makes me comfortable, It doesn't. It starts with what do other people need to not lose heart in the midst of their suffering. So if you move towards someone relationally to find out where they might be suffering, see how you can encourage and exhort and help them, could the conversation get awkward? Quickly. Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) Could things get messy? Yes. Will you be confronted with all manner of problems that you can't solve? Yes. Is it possible that because they are suffering and you are suffering, that when you move toward them to try to care for them in some way, that they will sin against you and it will hurt like the dickens? Yes. Is it also possible you will sin against them? Will you ever catch yourself thinking, why can't I just enjoy my little life with me and myself and I <laughs> and my close friends? I, I mean, it's not like I don't have enough going on. Why, why can't I, why do I have to do this thing called feeling concern for other people? It's, it's just too uncomfortable and too costly, God. I, you know what? I'll just give some money so the pastor and my community group leader can, can do that thing. No, (laughs) please don't. Because Paul understands the challenge. But more importantly, the Lord your God understands the challenge. Why do I say that? Do you think for Jesus that moving toward us, compelled by an emotion of concern for us in our suffering under sin, cost him something? 
Do you think, you think exchanging the glory of heaven for 33 years in a fallen world was easy? Do you think obeying the Lord and continuing to move toward us, compelled by deep concern for us in our suffering that led him to the cross, wasn't costly? If you're going to follow a suffering Savior, then as you move toward fellow Christians who need you to establish and exhort them in their suffering, it is going to cost you something terrible, friend. And what the Lord says to you through his word this morning, very simply is, are you willing to do that? Or are you kidding yourself and thinking, if the church is really going and the relationships are really going and my spouse is really responding the way all this is supposed to work in God's book, it's just going to be easy. That's a lie. That's a lie. Something is terribly wrong in our soul if we are isolated from, blind to, or unmoved by suffering saints around us. So, so what should you feel toward your fellow believer? A holy concern and anxiety for them that compels you to move toward them when they're suffering so you can establish and exhort them in the faith. Unless you think that is rocket science or you need a MDiv to do that, I tell you, you do not because what they need to hear out of your mouth very simply is God knows, God sees, God loves you, God is in control. Don't lose heart. You're going to make it. Jesus is going to get you home. That's what they need. We should feel delight in them. We should feel concern for them. Third, we should also feel comfort through them. And this is a little different. So think carefully here, though this point is short. There's a a tension, a palpable tension in Paul's heart that gets resolved in verse 6. Look there. Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. I mean, translation, the news couldn't be better for Paul. Far from falling away from the faith because of their affliction, the Thessalonians are are pressing in, right? They're persevering in faith and love. They, They don't despise Paul as he has kind of led them down this narrow and hard road of suffering, following Jesus. They, they can't wait to see the guy. They love him. And so I almost expect him to say in, in verse 7 of chapter 3, what I would expect Paul to say, well, praise God, guys. Great news. You seem to be doing great. So I'm just going to kind of shift all my emotional energy and engagement and take it elsewhere. No. What does he say? What does Paul say? Look at verse 7. This is so important. For this reason, brothers... In all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. I put the accent on the pronouns because that's what's so crazy about this, right? When your heart, think about this, When your heart is filled with an affectionate desire for the spiritual welfare of your brothers and sisters in Christ, deep concern for their faith in the midst of their suffering, and they come and tell you, you know what? It is super hard. It is crazy hard. It is the hardest thing I've ever done. But the Lord is meeting me. The Lord is helping me. I'm not losing heart or giving up. What are you going to feel? Remember, this is all about emotions, right? God's very concerned with our emotions. What are you going to feel? What what in God's infinite wisdom has he designed you to feel? Joy, right? Gladness. How does that work? How did the Thessalonians doing well in the midst of their suffering bring Paul comfort in the midst of his suffering? Well, it works like this, okay? If your deepest and strongest desires are for your own comfort and ease, what are you going to feel when all those other people are being blessed by God and helped and strengthened and 
persevering and thriving spiritually in the midst of suffering, what are you going to feel? Not rocket science, envy, bitterness, and some form of praise God for that, brother. When are you going to answer my prayers? But let's switch that. What if your deepest and strongest desires, like Jesus, are for the spiritual welfare of your brothers and sisters in Christ? What are you going to feel when you hear how they are thriving spiritually in the midst of their suffering? What are you going to feel? You're going to feel comfort, right? Why? Because God's answering your prayers. God is satisfying your desires. You you see him at work. You've been praying for that work, and you're reminded of his faithfulness and compelled to keep trusting him with your own sorrows. I mean, what, what do we tend to do? In the midst of our own distress and suffering and affliction, what do we do? We, we turn inward. We get self-focused. We, we just kind of spin an endless loop trying to figure out why is God not changing our situation? What does God want us to do in that moment? He wants us to check our hearts and actively fight against that self-centeredness by crying out to him for a fresh desire, an affectionate desire for the spiritual welfare of the people around us. Listen, not as some sort of head game or distraction from our own troubles, but as an opportunity to experience his comfort in the midst of them as we listen to our brothers and sisters and we hear our brothers and sisters testify to us that the Lord is good. That's exactly what's going on in verse 9. Notice the sources of Paul's distress and affliction haven't gone away. But what does he feel in the midst of them? Gratitude to God for the joy of witnessing God's faithfulness to the Thessalonians. I'd I'd summarize this whole point this way, okay? Rejoicing in God's faithfulness to uphold those we love doesn't take away our troubles. It gives us spiritual strength to persevere through them. Verse 8, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Do do you see how this works? If if, If the emotions in your heart, which God is very concerned about, our delight in the brothers and sisters, concern for the brothers and sisters, then as God works and helps and sustains their faith, you are going to experience comfort through the brothers and sisters. Don't buy the lie of the evil one that this whole concern and delight in other people has no blessing for you in return. It is a tremendous, sweet gift to receive God's comfort as God answers your prayers for the people around you. Lastly, final thing we should feel toward one another, we should feel confident. And here I'm looking at verses 11 to 13. One of the reasons that Paul was so eager to have the FaceTime thing is he really wanted to supply, quote, what was lacking in the Thessalonians' faith. Now, when you hear that word lacking, you could think, well, maybe they had yet to exercise some kind of Genuine saving faith in Jesus Christ. No, to the contrary, they were lacking in the sense that every Christian keeps right along lacking. Including this pastor. I'm lacking. You're lacking. What what are we lacking? No matter how long you've been a Christian, there are what? There are always areas of our heart and life where we need to keep growing and what? Trusting and obeying Jesus more faithfully. Because he hasn't come back yet and and made us completely holy. He's working, but the work's not done. And because Paul cares for the Thessalonians, he's eager to personally strengthen their faith. But what I want you to notice here, as we prepare to wrap up, is where Paul's confidence for the future lies. For them. So think about this. Paul could have fallen back on his preaching. I mean, I've never sat under Paul's preaching but I have a sneaking suspicion that he was a pretty good preacher and that if he was on the pastoral team in this church, um, I would not be preaching. <laughs> and rightly so. He could have fallen back on his preaching. He could have fallen back on his letters. I, I don't know about you, but I've never received a personal letter that was also the inerrant inspired word of God. <laughs> but I imagine if I did, like the Thessalonians did, that would have been somewhat helpful, really helpful. 
But, but notice when Paul thinks about their future, he's not leaning on his preaching or his letters. His spiritual confidence isn't in the work that he can do, but in the work that God alone can do. So what does he say? May the Lord direct our way to you so we can supply what is lacking your faith. Absolutely. More importantly, however, look at verse 12. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. Why? Verse 13. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus with his saints. Check this out. Paul knows something about the Thessalonians. He knows that their holiness Their God-likeness could not be more important. Why? Why? Because of the warning in Hebrews 12, 14. Strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. If, If we're not holy, brothers and sisters, I'm not talking about moral perfection. What I'm talking about is if we're not bringing every area of our life in glad submission to King Jesus. No exceptions. No hidden places. No, yeah, 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 I'll follow you there because you've got goodies I like, but not here. None of that. If we're not striving for holiness, if we're not holy, then the day of Jesus' return will not be a day of joy. It will be a day of terror sorrow because the Lord's a just judge. He's not going to leave the guilty unpunished. And striving for holiness, without which we won't see the Lord, takes really hard work. Okay? Really hard work. To, To what? To abound in love for one another and for all. Think about that. That takes a whole lot of walking a difficult and painful road of putting selfishness to death and and learning to care for each other the way God cares for us. So what Paul is praying for, what he's what he's confident the Lord will do requires serious work from the Thessalonians. There, there's no passivity here. Don't worry, just sit tight, fasten your seatbelts and listen to the captain speaking and I'll make you holy. No. No, it's going to require work. But His confidence for the future isn't in what the Thessalonians will do. It's in the Lord. And and, and brothers and sisters, we need to take care to do the exact same thing. Because we blow this all the time. Especially with the people that are closest to us and whom we claim to love the most. How do we blow it? How does our confidence shift from God's work to something else? Well, if we're talking about your spouse, your kids, your friends, what do we do? How do we get in trouble here? Well, we decide, I think what will make them more godly is a little subtle manipulation. Hey, what? Did you read your Bible today? No. Well, I read this great devotional and God met me in glorious ways and it was like heaven was descending on earth. Don't you want that? (laughs) Subtle manipulation. Or we try the not-so-subtle ultimatum. You said you were a Christian. I'm not seeing it. I mean, and a thousand other varieties, right? What, What do all those expressed emotions toward our brothers and sisters reflect? An utter lack of confidence in the work of God. Complete lack. Resist the temptation, Christian, to try to save the people around you. Refuse to try and make them holy on your own. Okay, the the holiness the Thessalonians needed, the holiness your brothers and sisters in Christ need, is ultimately a work only God can bring to pass. Why? Because only God can change the heart of your child. Only God can change the heart of your spouse, your friend, your family member. God is the one, Christ is the one, who progressively sanctifies all all who are found in him until he gets us home on the final day. Will he use you? Yeah. Should you sit there quietly and never say anything and stew in all your bitterness? No. But you should trust the Lord and be confident in him, not yourself. Don't be anxious when you think about the future of a fellow Christian. 
be confident. Even, listen, even if they are struggling mightily with the same sin, even if they commit a scandalous sin, what do we know about another Christian? What do we know? God is for them. God is with them. God is going to help them. And God is going to make them holy. (laughs) It's a promise. So we pray with confidence, knowing the God who told Israel at the beginning of Leviticus 28, keep my statutes and do them, is the same God who promised Israel at the end of that verse, I am the Lord who sanctifies you. What should we feel, brothers and sisters, toward a fellow Christian? We, We should feel an affectionate desire an emotion. That's a feeling. God's really concerned about your feelings. He's really concerned about your emotions. Have I said that often enough? An affectionate desire for their spiritual welfare that looks like a variety of emotions. Delight in them, concern for them, comfort through them, confidence about them. I challenge you, join me in following the example of the Apostle Paul here. Because these emotions aren't just options for people who are naturally emotional. These are emotional necessities for every follower of Christ. That they are the wellspring of Christian ministry. And you cannot get the mission God has given you done without these emotions. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask right now as we think about what we feel toward our brothers and sisters in Christ that we would remember the church is your bride. It's your bride. We want to feel about your bride what you feel about your bride. And so I pray right now that you would help us to delight in those in whom you delight to be concerned for those for whom you are deeply concerned. To be comforted in those whom you help and to be confident about those whom you sanctify. Jesus, we confess this morning that your affectionate desire for your church, for your people, demands, requires, and freely empowers Nothing less than that. We want to be a church that honors you by thinking your thoughts after you. But we also want to be a church that pleases you by feeling your feelings after you. And so we pray this morning that you would be deeply glorified in our emotions.